Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Well, welcome back, one and all. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. And we are also resident on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. You can find us in a few different places. And before I go on, uh, let me just say I really appreciate uh, the way that uh, so many of our listeners have been uh, sharing and reviewing and rating uh, this podcast and our other material. I know that, uh, that that seems trite. A lot of people are asking for that. It seems like a small thing. It actually does help us a lot. So if you are... If you're listening to this, if you've been blessed and if you appreciate what you've been hearing from the Ezra Institute, just on whatever uh, podcast platform you're using, give us a quick share, give us a review. That that helps us out a lot, helps us to reach uh, newer and bigger audiences. Now, with that said, I'm here and uh, very pleased to be with you. Uh, regular listeners will find no strangers here today. I've got uh, Dr. Andrew Sandlin with us here, right from Golden British Columbia. He's uh, he's on the ground at the Runner Academy. Andrew, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Ron. It's a privilege always to be with you and to work closely with runner and to be on the the podcast and i'm so glad to hear about its growth and burgeoning and um expanding influence and it's great to be here at uh at runner so thanks for having me well it uh it hasn't happened in spite of you we're you're a valuable uh part of this and we appreciate you being back so andrew uh i understand that uh one of your one of your most important or uh, main responsibilities at the Runner Academy this year has been to uh, been to keep Joe Boot and his wardrobe in check. That is true. Uh, this all began, Ryan, with his bright white tennis shoes and his salmon-colored pants. <laughs> and the first... And though I've seen them before, uh, there was something of a striking incongruity between the earthiness of these gorgeous Canadian Rockies around us and the uh, amazing natural beauty that God created and uh, this rather uh, highly stylized, some say dandy attire that Joe sometimes wears. So he's got some good-natured ribbing about his salmon-colored pants. He wore some white pants yesterday. Oh, he's... so all of us are actually... We're, we're sitting on pin and needles, on pins and needles, waiting every day to find out what his next outfit will be. Oh, he's he's doing that just to provoke you now. Oh, I'm sure I know he that, is. He but... is... Uh, he is sartorially provocative. <laughs> um, but uh, he is a dear friend, and it doesn't matter what he wears. Within reason, of course, we'll still love him and support him. 
So, con so context is important, is, uh, is what I'm getting from this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, keeping, him, uh, keeping him humble there. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, one, you've been, uh, you've been on, on the Runner Academy for several years now, uh, one, of our, one of our core faculty members, and we're very grateful for it. Uh, can you just give us a rundown for those those who are not able to be there, or who are not sure what the uh, what they'll get at the academy, or what it's uh, what it's really about? Maybe just talk about some of uh, some of your experience and some of the some of the topics that uh, that you've been speaking on. Well, it's a very um, thoughtful group of young people here. I should say when I say young people, I don't necessarily mean very young. Uh, some probably as young as uh, 19, others uh, certainly into their 30s, but uh, very thoughtful, hungry to learn more, not just about the Bible, and of course that's fundamental, but how the Bible is to be understood within what we'd like to call a Christian worldview. That is a conception of reality that is our view of reality shaped by the Word of God and creational norms of the Christian faith. Um, my talks, and of course there are many, many talks, excellent ones, but I just happen to be more familiar with mine, of course. Um, I have addressed uh, worldviews of the West, speaking of worldviews, and I specifically targeted enlightenment and romanticism and postmodernism and pointed out how each of those worldviews have had an impact, a negative impact, I might add, uh, on our world today. And I've talked about covenant and kingdom, uh, those two foundational truths in the Bible, and foundational truths for that matter for uh, Ezra and uh, Renner Academy. And uh, I have spoken about um, covenant and prayer and the uh, extension of the kingdom of God. I spoke today from uh, the book of Daniel on that. I have also addressed the topics of cultural Marxism and critical theory um, to uh, uh, monikers that are quite in the news, prominent in our schools and uh, in universities and politics and education and elsewhere. I delivered a devotional, a worldview devotional, I called it, Ryan, called The Alt World. The Alt World, which we'll have to link to that um, on the, the Runner Academy uh, or the Ezra website eventually or sign up for it or whatever if they would like to hear that. And then finally, uh, I will the privilege to be delivering the concluding address. As Joe liked to say, Dr. Boot liked to say at the beginning, he said in his first lecture, first we'll tell you what we're going to tell you, then we'll tell you, then we'll tell you what we told you. So it'll be my task to tell the Runner Academy what we told them in the summary form. So those... Just, that's just a quick rundown of the topics that uh, I have been addressing. Yeah, that, that's a more difficult task than it uh, than it might sound from that to that formulation. Just tell them what they what you told them. Um, so yes. I appreciate you being there. Uh, and this is uh, what I, what I often tell people uh, before they become delegates when they're applicants is that uh, we are. Uh, at the Rudder Academy, we're basically trying to give a give a rundown, give an introduction to the ideas and intellectual movements that shaped Western culture, 
essentially answering the question, how did we get to where we are? And then providing the, uh, the biblical, philosophical, theological uh, foundations and uh, roadmap for how do we get out of here? How do we go somewhere uh, as a culture that is oriented to towards God in its worship and its commitments? Yes, no, uh, I actually mentioned that uh, what I was offering is a genealogy of ideas. Uh, we're thrown into a world, that's Heideggerian language, but we're born into, thrown into a world we didn't invent uh, with worldviews that uh, we did not generate. And it's important to understand what seems normative for us. Uh, because what seems normative is that world we come into. We don't know anything else. So it's important to know the contrast. And that's one of the important, I think, roles that the Renner Academy plays, to lay out the kind of world we live in and the ideas that tend to shape our world and to contrast them, of course, with the distinctly biblical ideas and uh, God's, God's revelatory truth. So there certainly has been a lot of that uh, going on. And I think that, in fact, in my view, Ryan, that's one of the most fundamental objectives of runner we want students leaving runner saying okay so these worldviews that i've known are not somehow normative that only god's truth is normative in his world i must judge everything by the distinctively christian worldview it really is vital for young people particularly today in our secular and neo-pagan culture to understand that so andrew one of the subjects that you mentioned uh, the title is Covenant and Kingdom, and that uh, that subject really intrigued me, and I, I imagine it would be it would be interesting to a lot of other people. Um, so I, I want to uh, want to spend a little bit of time in the for the rest of our interview today, just asking you about uh, the covenant, uh, what uh, what that means, what it entails, and uh, what it teaches us about the kingdom of God. Yes, well, a covenant kingdom are kind of answers to two separate questions, we might say. Covenant is the answer to the question, how does God relate to man? And kingdom is the answer to the question, what is God doing in the world? Hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously uh, related. Um, so we can start with covenant. Uh, it's a term Christians sometimes use a lot. It's, it's one of those jello words that kind of means almost everything. Yes. Some people use it as sort of the equivalent for the gospel or equivalent for kingdom or equivalent for the Lord's work in some way, but it does have a more precise meaning. It's a very ancient word. The word used in Hebrew is berith, and it basically means a, uh, a very sacred oath-bound agreement uh, between two parties. And it's, uh, it's very serious. It's not like a, a contract. Hmm. Uh, or even a compact, those are kind of secularized versions uh, of covenants. When we sign a loan agreement, for example, that's sort of a, a watered-down version uh, of a covenant. Uh, but uh, in the Bible, uh, there are covenants between two parties, sometimes two individuals, sometimes two nations, sometimes between one great king, for example, and a nation that he subjugates. Uh, in the ancient world, there were sort of two kinds of covenants, parity covenants between two people on an equal footing. Let's say there were two men 
They made a covenant with one another, a sacred agreement with one another. And then there were uh, what are called um, suzerain covenants. That is the idea generally of a great ruler, a great military leader, a great king that would subjugate a people who would be vassals to him, uh, tributaries to him, and he would make a covenant and he would establish his authority over them. But he would say, uh, you're going to do this for me and I'm going to do this for you. So there are these stipulations uh, to these parties of the covenant. And uh, they would take an oath, um, and the oaths were uh, very different. Today, uh, for instance, sometimes when people make an agreement, they will shake hands. I mean, that sounds odd, but that really is a sort of um, oath-taking in a watered-down, diluted form of the covenant. A lot of times there were blood covenants. Mm. Sometimes an animal was killed. And this was indicative of what was called a self-maledictory oath. I'm willing for this to happen to me, my blood to be shed if I violate the terms of this covenant. And then finally, there almost always seemed to be um, a declaration of succession. That this covenant would bind not only you and me or these two parties, but our, our, uh, our successors. Um, so as you can tell, it was all a very serious matter. We don't live in a very serious age. This is probably one reason covenants aren't very popular <laughs> mm, these days. No doubt. Um, but to marriage is a covenant. The Bible is quite clear about that. We even have, uh, though it's not explicit in the Bible, there it's implicit church covenants. We make a covenant when we join the church. Of course, the Bible's filled with covenants between God and man. Yes. There's implied the covenant of creation, and there's the Noahic covenant, the rainbow covenant, which certainly is not the same as the pride rainbow, quite the opposite. Uh, there is the um, Mosaic covenant, sometimes called the Old Covenant. Uh, there's the Abrahamic covenant. There's the Davidic covenant. And, of course, the one covenant uh, to which all of these point, the so-called New Covenant, uh, in the atoning blood of uh, Jesus Christ. So... <clears throat> so covenant is um, it's vital. That's how God chooses to relate to man. Uh, though it might sound odd to us because all of us believe in God's sovereignty, nonetheless, um, God willingly binds himself to people uh, and he willingly uh, makes himself available to people in such a way that they can make demands of him. Now, of course, we often be cautious in saying that because we as humans don't in general just make demands of God. But when he willingly covenants with us, we can say, Lord, you made this covenant promise to us. And therefore, you must keep your word. Right. And uh, frankly, God likes that language. God isn't put off by that language because it really shows that we take his word seriously. Uh, so that's covenantal language. So that's kind of a whirlwind tour Ryan, in answer to the question, how does God relate to man? He could relate in a number of ways, but he relates uh, He relates to man in terms of covenant. And this is, by the way, shot through the Old Testament sacrificial system, of course. It's shot through with covenant, uh, the giving of a sacrifice. Christ himself sacrificed. He himself was the oath. He himself uh, took the, the covenant sanctions, suffering, oath-breaking, not his own, of course, but he suffered our breaking of the covenant and then uh his covenant keeping righteousness is imputed to us as we're united to him by faith so so many different angles of covenant but if we don't understand 
that idea of covenant, I'd like to suggest we're not really going to understand the Bible as we should, uh, because the Bible is filled with covenants. I mean, you read just in, I'll mention quickly, just in Galatians about the Abrahamic covenant. Right. And uh, we might get the impression that the covenant was made only with Abraham and the Jews, but the Jewish writer uh, St. Paul makes clear in Galatians that the, the main seed of the covenant, this uh, corporate seed, the seed to which uh, the corporate individual to whom the covenant was made, the real covenant promises to Jesus Christ and all of, this, them, uh, all of those united by faith to him. We are the heirs, the recipients of all these glorious Abrahamic promises. So, and that Abrahamic covenant, of course, is related to the new covenant in Christ's atoning blood. So this idea of covenant is not a minor theme in the Bible. This is one of the great themes of the Word of God. And uh, if, we, if we don't spend time to understand what the Bible means by this, we're not going to understand the Bible and the Christian faith as we should. That's right. That's right. You, uh, you said something, or you used some language there that I just uh, I want to uh, get into a little bit. Uh, when you were describing the many uses of covenant uh, and the term covenant in Scripture, uh, you said that it continues all the way to the so-called new covenant. And yes. I, I just want to, I want you to, to draw that out a little bit more. Um, usually when we say something is so-called, it, so we say that because we think that there might be a better way to say it, or that the term is not real, not accurate to the way that we normally use it. Uh, Excellent point, Ryan. I'm glad you asked that. And the only reason I use that, because the Bible does use the term new covenant, but right. the reason I said so-called is not a reflection on the Bible, but a reflection on our misunderstanding. Right. Oftentimes in the Bible, when we hear the term new, we think of, uh, in our age of new products or services, brand new. Yeah. I purchased a brand new car. It's completely unrelated to that old junker clunker that I was driving around. And I you uh, it off and it has no relation to the old car. And you replaced but it. Cases, the new, the new, you got the new one, it. you got rid of the old one. You got rid of the old one. That's right. Well, in the Bible, new often means renewed. That is a covenant in new form. We even use that language today. It's older language, but we still retain it. We sometimes speak of the, the new moon. Well, does anybody believe that every 30 days or 28 days or so that God pulls away the old moon and creates a new one? Well, of course, that's ridiculous. What we mean is it's a new phase of the moon. Uh, the moon goes through phases. Well, in the same way, the new covenant, it's not as though the Mosaic covenant is bad and should be thrown away. It's actually a new phase of God's covenant dealings. So that phase, that old phase of the Mosaic law, uh, and particularly the sacrificial system, that phase has been set aside. But the truths underlying it, continue. And we know that in the new covenant, uh, because it says one stipulation of the new covenant is that the law of God, the old Testament law of God has more laws written in the heart. Right. So it's not that there is this wholesale kicking to the curb. God's law is never kicked to the curb, but it's brought in covenant to a new, to a new phase. The same is true. And even more importantly, of the sacrificial system. Uh, that Old Testament sacrificial system was not bad, 
that, as one scholar put it, it had a built-in expiration date. Hmm. It was pointing toward the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. So that Old Testament sacrificial system has been fused into. It falls away, but the new phase is the final glorious phase of the atoning uh, death of Jesus Christ. So that's the reason I use that language, so-called new covenant, not because it's bad language, but because we tend to misunderstand that this somehow means, well, this means that there is no continuity between these Old Testament covenants, but that's just false. Right. Um, think only of the continuity of the Davidic covenant, the covenant with David that God would uh, raise up always from his loins, someone to sit upon the throne. Well, we find out from Acts chapter 2 and uh, earlier uh, in the gospel that Jesus Christ himself is uh, the um, follower of uh, the child, as it were, of, of David. Yes. He himself uh, was brought about through the Davidic line, and he sits on David's throne. So the Davidic covenant is a present reality. Um, being fulfilled has been fulfilled presently. And that's true, of course, of the Abrahamic covenant. It's true of the Noahic covenant. So that's kind of what I meant. We need to understand that in the end, there is one final enduring underlying covenant, and all of these covenants contribute to that covenant. Terrific. You know, that's, uh, that's excellent. And this, this is what, uh, what Jesus would have had in mind at the Last Supper when he's describing the new covenant in my blood. Is that right? Yes, that's, a, that's right. Um, the and book of Hebrews is quite clear about that. Um, and that's vital for people to understand that Jesus Christ established on the cross he ratified this new covenant, this new phase of his covenant dealings. And understand that the old, the so-called old covenant always pointed to that. That's important for people to understand. It's not as though God said, oh dear, Israel failed and now I've got to go to plan B. Right. Uh, the new covenant was always plan A. And the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, was always in preparation for, the sacrificial system always in preparation for this this new uh, covenant, this final, I was Christ-centered or Christic, we might say, covenant, the covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, it's vital to understand that, so for people who might be, if you're following along, get the impression that the, the entire Bible is woven by this covenantal thread. And if you don't understand covenant, it's going to be difficult to understand the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so let's uh, let's pivot from there uh, into that uh, that second part of your lecture uh, of the second the second part of what it's answering uh, because I, I, another another major theme in scripture another major theme of uh, Christ's recorded ministry was the kingdom of God. Yes, uh, the the kingdom of God. Um, I would be bold to say. Um, is what God is doing in the world. Um, in Greek, it's uh, the basileia. It's the reign of God. Whenever you see kingdom, almost always, if you have difficulty understanding it, just sort of substitute the reign of God. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. Uh, of course, the reign of God began, <laughs> I mean, at, at creation. I mean, it's, it's uh, woven into creation itself, and God vests Adam and Eve, he deputizes them to 
be under his authority, a prince and a princess, we might say, under his kingly uh, authority. Uh, but when we come to the New Testament, of course, that reign is centered in Jesus Christ. It's called uh, by theologians the mediatorial reign of Christ. Right. Uh, he is the mediator. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 and uh, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and other texts are quite clear about this. So he mediates the reign. So the kingdom of God, the reign of God, is what God is doing in the world. He is expanding his reign by means of his people. If we think about it, that was what God established Adam to do, to take dominion over the rest of creation. But Adam and his probation failed in his task, Adam and Eve. Well, God didn't scrap the program. Uh, he gave a great covenant promise from Genesis 3.15, uh, referring to Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the second Adam that succeeded where the first Adam failed. Uh, Romans 5.12-21 makes that clear. Jesus, the first Adam was the failing Adam, Adam the failure. The second Adam, Christ, is the succeeding Adam, the Adam of success. Uh, and he is the one who is the ruler, God's ruler uh, in the earth. Uh, now, one thing that I really pointed out, Ryan, uh, this idea has kind of lost prominence, sadly, um, among conservative Bible-believing people over the last uh, couple of hundred years. Hmm. Uh, for one thing, liberals have commandeered the idea of the kingdom, but for them, it's sort of a vague idea of do-goodism. For them, the kingdom of God is basically uh, creating socialistic schemes and being nice to people and uh, you know, being careful about your language and not stealing and not lying and sort of working your way to heaven. Of course, that's not the biblical idea of the kingdom of God, but it's been identified with this sort of liberal social program. So many conservatives have kind of recoiled in horror at this idea of pressing the kingdom of God. But that's the wrong response. We shouldn't try to get rid of or avoid the kingdom of God, but find out what the Bible clearly says about it. Absolutely. The kingdom of, yes, the kingdom of God is the advancement of God's reign according to his word um, in Christ's name under his authority by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, one of the biggest problems, though, among conservatives, aside from the one I just said, constantly interpreting kingdom in these liberal terms, is reducing the If they don't do that, they reduce the kingdom of God to very small and unbiblical proportions. For instance, perhaps the kingdom of God is their own private relationship to God. Mm -hmm. We'll often yeah. hear that Jesus Christ is king. Yes, he's, he's sitting, he is king on the in the throne room of my heart. Right, yeah. And that's the important thing. Uh, no doubt that is important, and uh, you're not right with God if he's not ruling in your own life. But the kingdom of God can't be limited to our individual lives. That's what I like to call the interiorization of the faith, the retreat to the interior. Mm -hmm. uh, now, others believe the kingdom of God is roughly synonymous with the church. This has long been the Roman Catholic idea, and it's uh, really sad that many Protestants <laughs> have adopted this notion. That yes, we believe in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God doesn't extend beyond the church. And our goal is to sort of build the church, and in build the building the church, we're building the kingdom. Well, again, the church is an aspect of the kingdom of God, and that's where Christ should rule. According to mm -hmm. Revelation, the first few chapters, he walks among the churches. He is the king among the churches. But the kingdom of God cannot be limited to the church. Why? Because the kingdom of God is the reign of God, and God reigns through Christ everywhere. Uh, Revelation's clear that he's presently king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, 
That's right. Uh, of course, we read in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ uh, willingly, willingly came to earth and willingly accepted the, uh, the situation of incarnation and uh, did not give up his deity, but gave up some of the prerogatives of deity and suffered and died on the cross. But he rose again, and he is now Lord in Christ. And Acts 2 says the same thing, and 1 Corinthians says the same thing, and so do Hebrews 1, and Ephesians 1, and Colossians 1, and a number of other texts that he's presently ruling. That kingdom is a cosmic kingdom. It's over the entire universe. By the way, not just over the world. People sometimes don't really think about the fact that everything that is created stands under the uncreated Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. That's right. God of very God. Yeah. All else of creation, wherever it is, stands under his authority. His kingdom is advancing specifically on earth through the power of the Spirit. Unfortunately, because the kingdom of God has been so truncated and narrow, people will believe that what uh, people are doing at uh, the idea of Runner Academy in Ezra and the foundation that I leave, for example, Center for Cultural Leadership, that these, this cultural dimension of the faith, applying the faith in education and in the arts and in politics and technology and science and uh, all of these other things, that that somehow is um, at best a distraction that you folks at uh, Runner, they would say, the problem, well, you shouldn't be spending time on this. You should be spending time on reading the Bible and praying. Well, of course we should, but to what end? That's right. The end of Bible reading and praying is to extend the kingdom of God on the earth. That, by the way, is the gospel. Um, so this kingdom is a lot bigger than this sort of narrow, spiritualized, pietized Christianity that we have today. And uh, one thing that we are committed to, uh, Dr. Booth and I, and of course you, Ryan, Ezra, the Center for Cultural Leadership, Mike Ministries, is just this kingdom, this robust, expanding a kingdom vision, because this, as we understand it, is what the Bible teaches. Because this, you see, is what God is doing in the world. Covenant is how God relates to the world, and kingdom is what God is doing in the world. Amen. And that that's a good uh, a good point here. I, I want to uh, transition here based on something that you said, that the church, or the kingdom of God, is not synonymous with the church. And you've uh, you've got a uh, a new book coming out that uh, Joe Boot was uh, you permitted him to be a part of about uh, or the book is called Failed Church. Can you talk a little bit about that project and uh, what prompted you to produce that? Yes, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to mention that and promote it. Um, should be available about the time or not long after this podcast drops. Um, the impetus behind it is actually seeing how the church collectively, not every church, of course, but in general, how churches addressed uh, these pressing developments the last couple of years. Of course, the COVID-19 uh, situation and uh, the various government lockdowns. Uh, but of course, just a few months after that was the tragic murder of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And uh, though that was tragic, uh, also tragic was much of the response to that, the riots and um, just the vicious uh, things that were perpetrated at that time. And then it seemed for some reason 
there was also a, an acceleration of cancel culture. That was around before, but I don't know, for some reason, the last couple of years, it seemed to be this perfect storm of uh, depravity. And um, sadly, so many churches, in my view, uh, capitulated to what Francis Schaeffer would call forms of the world spirit. Hmm. I'll never forget the haunting lines in his book, The Great Evangelical Disaster. He points out the church accommodates to the culture. And he says, if it's not stopped, it just continues to degenerate. And he says this, accommodation leads to accommodation, leads to accommodation. So once we begin to accommodate the culture, then it's not that we stop there. Oh, here is the accommodation end point, And this is all we will accommodate. no. Once we have started down this road, then we continue to make more and more capitulation. And this has happened in large measure to the church. Um, If you think about this, this is a harrowing thought. It's hard to believe that uh, in um, Easter 2020, something happened that has never, ever happened in the history of the church. Most churches in Christendom were closed. The Soviet Union wasn't able to do that. That's right. Islam wasn't able to do that. But the response to uh, this uh, particular virus was able to do that. Um, But more, I guess, more importantly, the number of churches that just said, we are going to submit ourselves to government edicts, no matter what. Right. Uh, Just as long as they don't forbid us from preaching the gospel. And I guess that would be quietly or on the internet or having virtual church or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But as I pointed out at the time, uh, Ryan, and I'm sure, and of course, Dr. Boot and others did too, the media, the meaning of ecclesia in the Greek is the gathered or called community. Um, You really can't have church unless you have this, this called assembly. And it doesn't mean virtual assembly. No, there's nothing wrong with Zoom. There's nothing wrong with this technology that we're using. But what we're doing right now is not church. That's right. That needs to be very clear. Um, But unfortunately, a number of churches, uh, which understandably at the beginning were kind of didn't know what was going on, what are we supposed to do, then uh, they started meeting again. But many others just continued on in their, in my view, servile uh, response to uh, unwarranted and unbiblical and unconstitutional orders, not to sing or not to meet. Uh, I thank God for all of the churches. And of course, as you know, Ryan, one of the ministers is speaking at, uh, <coughs> spoke here at the Runner Academy, Pastor Tim Stevens, was jailed. That's right. Um, he was uh, actually jailed by his uh, province, Alberta, twice jailed for yes. defying this order not to meet. Well, <laughs> the Bible says in Hebrews, to meet. It says else, as elsewhere, the church must meet. That's what ecclesia means, to meet. There were all sorts of rationalizations on why the church didn't need to meet. Well, be the church wherever you are. It's good that the church can't meet because now we can truly be the church since we're not meeting. Yep. Well, that is just self-flattering nonsense. That's false. Um, so that's just one aspect of that and a number of other things. Um, Dr. Boo deals with this very issue in his article, a uh, chapter rather of Sheep and Men, and then uh, I deal with... Um, grace in culture and grace in church. What does it mean for the Christian faith to extend beyond the church? Dr. Brian Matson, who's here speaking, also one of the, uh, our faculty in CCL, one of the CCL scholars, addresses the issue of the scandals in the church. 
Hmm. He really takes apart the what Mark Driscoll did, um, the tragic in the church is gone. Right. Mars Hill, a church yeah. of thousands, now gone. How did it happen? And he deals with that. And uh, John Frame, for example, some of the listeners will have heard his name, deals with the problem of sectarian denominationalism, people obsessed with their own little denominations to the exclusion of Christ's wider work and and uh, the kingdom of God. And our friend Jeffrey Ventrella uh, deals with uh, the paganization of the church and pagan ideas and the church's capitulation to the LGBTQ plus plus, and it goes on and on. We can't keep up with it. Agenda. Uh, he deals with, uh, with that problem. Uh, Dr. Roger Wagner deals with the imperative of the church. Though the church has failed, the church is an institution is uh, vital in uh, in God's plan. And mm. then uh, Stephen Perks uh, from England uh, delivers a powerful chapter on the fact that the church is not unlike many false religions of the ancient world. It's not a private mystery cult. And what he points out is that so many churches today are much like these uh, pagan cults in the ancient world that the Roman Empire was very happy to tolerate. Why did it tolerate all of these other religions but would not tolerate Christianity? Because they were sort of private, quiet religions. But Christianity was not. It wasn't revolutionary in the sense of armed revolution, but it was not a private mystery cult. It believed in the public claims of truth. It believed that Caesar himself had to be bound by God's revelation. And that set it on the collision course with... um, uh, with the early Christians. So those are several of the chapters. There are a number of them, but uh, it's a very important book. I mean, not because I edited it or CCL is producing it, but because of the topics, because of the themes. Uh, so I hope that to those of you listening, will uh, you can eventually get a copy by checking on Amazon. It will be available on Amazon, a hard copy. Ezra Press uh, is going to get some hard copies Ezra, as yes, well. Yes, Ezra will so. have a number of copies. You'll be able to get it there, but... Um, it's vital to understand what has happened over uh, over the last two years, uh, two and a half years or so, in the church and the seeds. You talked earlier, Ryan, about how ideas develop and how we got where we are today. Well, what happened two years ago, really, the seeds of that really led to it. It's not just, well, the church collapsed, basically, mm. uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago. If the, the church was collapsing a long time before and these events became a catalyst to cause a further collapse. We kind of deal with that in the book. Right. Well, yeah, we're uh, we're very pleased to uh, to have Joe participating, uh, contributing to that book. Appreciate you bringing it out, and we uh, hope hope that it gets a very wide readership. We'll do our part to, on our side to to circulate it widely. Andrew Sandlin, thank you so much for being on the podcast for Cultural Reformation once again. I'm, uh, for, I understand you've been having a terrific time at the Runner Academy. Glad to have you with us. Thank you, Ryan. It's been great. As I always tell you, and I want all of the listeners to know that CCL and I are uh, thoroughly delighted to and eager to have you as a sister ministry participate with Ezra. We kind of say that we are sort of, as it were, the Ezra uh, south of the border and your CCL north of the border. We are just joined together and appreciate you so much, Ryan. Look forward to seeing you uh, before too long at the World uh, Leadership, uh, at the Worldview Leadership Academy over in Ontario. That's right. Yeah, we'll be seeing you in uh, yeah, just a few short weeks.
All right. Well, from uh, from all God of us here, you. God bless you. From all of us here at the Ezra Institute, from CCL, uh, and at the podcast for Cultural Reformation, we remind you as ever that from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.